Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today is October 1st, and wow, it is hard to believe that we are already in October. I have a pumpkin sitting right outside my front door, and I have gourds in my entryway. Lauren, have you purchased any fall gourds and pumpkins yet? Virginia, how... (laughs) (laughs) I... This goes back to the PSL. Like, no, black coffee, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of Christmas decorations, but come on. Like, who? Like, fall decorations, though? Like, it's it's such a happy thing. Like, they just rot. Well, and pumpkin gets all over And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not. Call me, like, a uh, Scrooge McDuck or whatever. I'm just, like, not a... <laughs> That's fair. No, I'm very like the, oh, let me get on Pinterest and like look at all the cool things I can do in my house for fall. Not that I actually do them, uh, but I pin them and then I just buy a pumpkin from Trader Joe's. So, I mean, I can't claim like super uh, <laughs> anything crazy, I guess, for fall. But um, I did um, spend some time with a colleague of ours this weekend and she uh, has two young kids and she does a fall tree every year and it's really cute. She takes a, it was Trader Joe's bags, but you know, any grocery bag and you make the branches of the tree and then you make leaves and in the leaves, it's kind of like goals that you want to do in fall. And you put all the goals up there. Hers is like family movie night, make chili, go camping. Um, and then every time they do it, they move the tree. They take the, you know, the leaf quote unquote falls off the tree. And, you know, by the end of the fall, you're just left with like branches like you would be outside. And I thought that was a really cute little tradition. That is so cute. Wow. I love that. Okay. I feel like, I feel like I should do that. (laughs) So good. Well, whether you have um, lots of things planned on your quote unquote fall tree for the next couple of months, or you're just watching what's going on in Washington, DC, either way, it's going to be a busy fall because there's a lot happening uh, between obviously the election and Amy Coney Barrett being nominated to the Supreme Court. We're going to get into some of that today. So Lauren, can you give us the rundown? What do we have queued up for today's show? Upon today's Problematic Women, we kick off the show with a conversation we had last week with Representative Debbie Lesko about being the only woman on the House Freedom Caucus and championing the pro-life movement in the halls of Congress. Plus, our good friends and OG problematic woman, Kelsey Bowler, joins us to break down the president's nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court and why the left just is so upset about it. And as always, we'll be crowning our problematic woman of the week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. On Saturday, President Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court to fill the vacancy left by the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on September 18th. So let's pop over real fast to the White House Rose Garden to quickly listen in on what the president had to say Saturday night per the Daily Signal's live stream. 
Today, it is my honor to nominate one of our nation's most brilliant and gifted legal minds to the Supreme Court. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Now, a quick refresher. In order for Amy Coney Barrett to be confirmed to the Supreme Court, the Senate needs a simple majority vote to confirm her. The tradition is that the Senate Judiciary Committee holds hearings to question the nominee and determine if they're suited for the position. At the end of those hearings, which usually take two or three weeks, the Senate votes. If the Senate votes to confirm Barrett, she will be the fifth woman to serve on the Supreme Court and the first mother of school-aged children. Barrett has seven children, ranging in age from 8 to 19. Her youngest son, Benjamin, has special needs, and two of her children, Vivian and John Peter, are adopted from Haiti. Barrett is a devout Catholic, and we know that she is personally pro-life, but we also know that she has said that it is never appropriate for a judge to bring their own personal views into their decision-making in cases. Barrett assured America on Saturday night that if confirmed, she will make decisions based on the Constitution and that alone. But despite her dedication to the law, the far left is bent on keeping her off the bench. So, uh, let's begin with the why. Why are so many Democrats refusing to meet with Barrett, and why are they so dead set against her? Joining us to discuss all of this is Kelsey Buller, senior writer at The Daily Signal and senior policy analyst at Independent Women's Forum. Welcome, Kelsey. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. I know a lot of the attacks have already become very personal about Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, But I think what's going on here is less about her and more about a power grab. Uh, The left, I think, has a lot of sour grapes right now. Uh, They were struggling to accept the results of the election and the idea that uh, they will lose yet another Supreme Court seat is a very difficult pill for them to swallow. And so they will go to any lengths to stop uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat from uh, being uh, filled by a constitutionalist judge And uh, we saw the results of this in the Kavanaugh confirmation process, which I don't think any of us could forget about. Um, I hope and pray it will not be that ugly for Amy Coney Barrett. She seems, I mean, as, as Judge Kavanaugh is and was, she seems like a highly qualified individual who, um, lives a very dignified life, both professionally and personally. But we know that uh, activists who want the Supreme Court to behave like a super legislator and impose their progressive policy agenda will go to pretty extreme lengths to defeat any nominee, despite who that nominee is. In this case, a woman who is really an inspiration for any of us who are trying to figure out this work and family balance. Uh, The fact that she is able to have uh, seven kids, some of them still school-aged, 
and get nominated to the Supreme Court should, of course, be uh, an inspiration to all of us. But instead, uh, the left is already uh, launching the attacks and the smears. Well, and Kelsey, you raised that term uh, that Barrett is a constitutionalist. And, you know, within um, the Supreme Court and when discussing the Constitution, there's kind of these two main camps. And one, the more progressive left views the Constitution as this kind of living document that can change with the times and be interpreted. And then you have a much more traditional view of, you know, the Constitution is what it is. It is as written and it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily super up for interpretation. Like it kind of says what it says and we have to, to follow it very closely. And that is such a threat to the left that I think we see continually wants to just kind of bend uh, the constitution to say what they want it to say in order to achieve their end. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that we see that the progressive left is simply threatened by Barrett, not because of who she is as a person, but because of her constitutional foundation and, and her commitment to uphold the true intent of the constitution. I think the left is also threatened by her personally, because according to the feminist left, which we talk about all the time on this podcast, women have to choose between uh, having children or having a career. Uh, That's why abortion is so essential uh, and fundamental to everything that they believe. Um, Of course, abortion is central in the conversation we're having right now. And what Judge Amy Coney Barrett shows women is that you can get married at a young age and have a big family and still have a incredibly successful career. Um, that, that in itself is a threat to the left. And that's why we are already seeing them attack her personally. Yeah, I think, and, and this is a generalization, not everyone on the left, but I would say a majority, you know, politics is their religion. This leftist virgin is, is their religion. And so when you see a woman who is a strong Catholic and is, you know, that is invading their space and, and they don't know how to attack her without, attacking her personally, like they can't have a conversation in Virginia about what you were talking about. Um, you know, originalism versus, you know, the, the constitution being this new and living document, they, they can't like win that idea. Cause like the constitution is there. So they go back to this kind of like, she's a Catholic, it's scary. Her, you know, she's a devout Christian and, and they, it ends up really like making them look bad because like, like Kelsey said, like she is this mom, like she is physically attractive. She is, you know, the way that her children were standing there looking at her when Trump was nominating her and then compare that to Michelle Williams that uh, Kelsey, you might remember, but you know, where she said like, she only won this award because of her abortion. I mean, the American public sees that, that stark difference. And, and, you know, I think the left is like really afraid of that when it comes to Amy Coney Barrett. Lauren, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, the, the attacks, they're they're low. They're very low. I mean, it's been wild to see that one of the first things that they've gone after is her adoption. They're calling her the radical progressive left is calling her racist because she adopted two black children from Haiti. I mean, just like, wait, what? Really? Uh, a Boston University professor, Ibram Kennedy, who authored the New York Times bestseller, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he tweeted Saturday 
some white colonizers adopt black children. They civilized these savage children in the superior ways of white people while using them as props in a lifelong picture of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. I mean, just like what? Like, I feel like you have to be so, so kind of far in your thinking to possibly think that adoption is some sort of act of racism, one of the most selfless acts to give of yourself to a child in need, to bring them into your home, to call them your own, uh, even though they were, you know, they're biologically another's, uh, is just wow. It's, it's wild that we've gotten to that point. And Virginia, I want to add for all the parents and taxpayers listening right now, uh, Ibram Kendi, who made uh, this disgusting uh, remark on Twitter, was paid by the Fairfax County School District, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., over in Virginia, $20,000 to give a one-hour anti-racism talk. This is a man who is getting paid thousands of dollars uh, by corporations, Twitter CEO uh, Jack Dorsey, to give these anti-racism talks, which really, if you listen to what he's saying and look at what he tweets, it, it is racist in itself. He, it is a new form of racism, and it is meant to stoke hate and divide in this country. Uh, the fact that he tweeted that he was retweeting another comment, another woman who was making a similar remark about Judge Amy Coney Barrett's children, and it included a picture of her standing with her adopted children. And the fact that you can make these types of remarks and allegations, which are really the most serious allegations to accuse somebody of, of being a racist, I, I take those allegations very, very seriously. The fact that you can make that with no evidence, I think shows how extreme this rhetoric has become and how watered down it's become, which is frightening to me because we all know racism still does exist. It is far from Judge Amy Coney Barrett's family. She, as you stated, did a beautiful thing by adopting these children. In addition to already having her hands filled with her own biological children. And that is something <laughs> we should all, um, you know, as political commentators should stay away from anybody's family, uh, especially their children. They, there was a time where they were off limits. And now this kind of seems like the status quo. So I am quite nervous to see how ugly things get at the hearings. I'm curious to see if Democrats even show up because I think they also acknowledge that attacking her does come with its own set of risks in an election season. And, you know, she she is so well qualified that they're going to have a difficult time explaining themselves if they pull anything like they did during the Kavanaugh hearings. Which, thank God for President Trump, Kelsey, what you said about Fairfax County. I mean, they, they didn't teach uh, students in this lecture, but it was still educators being taught by him 
he made twenty thousand dollars. Thank God for President Trump signing the executive order to kind of stop this happening in the federal government. I mean, it was running rampant that these people were getting these like insane critical race theory trainings. And you know, right now these people they're in such an an echo chamber. The fact that Kendi think that thought that this was okay to post on Twitter. I mean. It's insane. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why I'm hopeful about this nomination and hopefully eventual confirmation is that the American people are going to see this and, you know, they might go along with BLM, you know, and there are some things that we can work for in our society. But they'll see this and they'll, they'll kind of stop in their tracks and be like, oh, my gosh, the left is crazy because here's this nice woman with kids who, who you know, is doing a good thing. Like, we don't know the details of the adoption. We don't – cutting off the biological parents, I mean, that makes it sound like, you know, Amy and her husband literally went down to Haiti herself and, like, kidnapped them in the night. Like, I seriously doubt that's what happened. My, my guess is that it was probably knowing her, her background, it was probably a faith-based adoption, which I mean, we could do a whole nother show on the importance of faith-based adoption. But yeah, it just, it shows how the left has moved so far to the left that, you know, they, and I don't want to keep hitting the same point, but it's their religion and, and they can't have a conversation about the issues. It has to be about the person. Watching these attacks, I can't help but wonder, is this really the way the left wants to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Of course, we've all read the reports that RBG wanted her seat to be filled after the election. But that said, that doesn't mean that she wanted a highly qualified female nominee to the Supreme Court to face these really low-level attacks against her personally and now her family in my opinion, that is an insult to the memory of RBG and everything she fought for. Kelsey, we haven't had you on the show, obviously, since it's been announced. But what do you think about the Women's March marching against Amy Coney Barrett in October? <laughs> How ironic. I mean, <laughs> we've been saying for years now, the Women's March does not represent women. And now there's no hiding that anymore. They are going to stage a march in protest of a woman. I mean, that is so anti-women um, that I, you know, it's really hard to take them seriously anymore. I'm curious to see how much attention this gets because uh, their hypocrisy is so flagrant right now. We don't need to do entire episodes dissecting it anymore because it is so obvious uh, when you stage a march to protest, you know, a highly qualified female nominee to the Supreme Court. Uh, but that just goes to show the Women's March does not represent women. They do not stand for civility. Uh, they do not stand for debate. They stand to assume power. That's what this is all about. It is power and the attempt to further progressive policies that many women across the country would disagree with. Well, Kelsey, before we let you go, we want to bring back a little bit of an old tradition. I a know throwback, when, definitely. A throwback. Yeah. I know when you hosted the show, um, you often did a segment with real and fake headlines. And I felt like it was the perfect time with so many bizarre and wild headlines right now about Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, to, to take a step back and to look at some of those headlines. Um, so uh, we're going to play a little game. So I'll read the headline and Kelsey and Lauren, you can weigh in on whether it is real or fake. All right. First headline. 
Amy Coney Barrett supporters attempt to steal RBG Notorious Legacy. Notorious. um, (laughs) I'm going to say real. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I can't imagine, like, it's such a fun, like, crazy nickname, you know, like, the real Slim Shady, the real Donald Trump. Like, you can't really uh, steal uh, a nickname, but, like, it seems like something the left would just, do. Just because about they this. don't like Amy Coney Barrett being referred to uh, by three letters like RBG. Uh, and they're threatened by it. <laughs> All right, so that one is fake. It was close to being real. I changed it, though, to make it fake. But let's move on to the second headline. Did Amy Coney Barrett's religious group inspire The Handmaid's Tale? Real. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with real. I yeah, think that's going to be my real. for all of them. <laughs> that one is most definitely real. Uh, okay, Well, and last I, so one. I, I want to bring oh, up a ahead. point about this, though. Like, yeah. The fact that they are going off that, like, oh, Amy Coney Barrett is, you know, she's part of The Handmaid's Tale. Like, in what world is a woman, like, women are so, you know, downcast of society, you know, not valued members of society. But then also women are being nominated to the Supreme Court of the United States. Like, I feel like those two Venn diagram circles don't meet up in the middle. I just I don't understand this argument. All right, final headline. Trump has chosen right-wing extremist Amy Coney Barrett for SCOTUS. I gotta go real. I mean... Yeah, real. (laughs) Yeah, that one's real. (laughs) And don't forget the article that I read on the podcast last week. Before Amy Coney Barrett was even nominated, this is a Refinery29, our fine friends over at Refinery29. This is Amy Coney Barrett, the potential RBG replacement who hates your uterus. I, I, I think of that like once a day and I laugh to myself. That That is probably one of the best ones. It's, oh boy. Well, it does look like uh, the Senate is going to have enough votes to confirm Barrett. There are 53 Senate GOP members and only so far two, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine, have raised any concerns about voting to confirm Barrett before the November 3rd election. Um, so the confirmation hearings are reportedly going to begin on October 12th, and then the Senate will vote uh, probably around the end of the month, but we will be sure to keep you all up to date on the latest because it's going to be an exciting month in Washington, D.C. Yeah, Kelsey, it really brings me back to covering the Kavanaugh hearings. And like, do you just remember being in uh, the Senate building and like there's just so many women just shouting? Yeah, Lauren, I'm not sure if those are good memories or bad memories. (laughs) I'd probably describe them as traumatic. (laughs) And, you know, I think when we're looking at a woman who is such an inspiration to uh, so many of us, we just hope and pray we don't have a similar result. Well, we want a similar final result, but result as in the confirmation process uh, she deserves better. Yes. Leave Amy Coney Barrett alone. <laughs> that should be the title of this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, stay with us because up next we'll be crowning our problematic woman of the week. There's a lot to this question. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, what it bubbles down to, it's not about Amy Coney Barrett herself, because if it were about her, we know the so-called feminist left would be 
holding her up as a an inspirational example of what women can achieve uh, for both their careers and their families. I know she's an inspiration for uh, those of us uh, on this podcast today, but instead of uh, championing her for her accomplishments, uh, the left is, of course, trying to smear her, even going so far as to uh, attacking her for adopting two children from Haiti. I'm sure we'll get to more of that later. Um, you know, of course, this is all about power. Uh, there is an election coming up. And, uh, you know, it's it's really sour grapes. <laughs> Elections do have consequences, as we've heard before. And uh, look, this is a tough consequence for the left to face yet another uh, Supreme Court uh, nominee by President Trump. That said, uh, Republicans are fulfilling their constitutional duty, really, by considering her nomination. I know that Democrats would be doing the same thing if they were in this position. And so I think a lot of this just comes down to uh, power. Democrats don't get, want to give up control of the Supreme Court because they look to the Supreme Court to further their legislative agenda. Instead of furthering that agenda in Congress, they look to the Supreme Court. All right, now stay with us because up next we're going to be talking with Representative Debbie Lesko. And we do want to note uh, that we talked with Representative Lesko last week before Amy Coney Barrett was nominated. But just like Amy Coney Barrett, Representative Lesko is another powerful woman serving the American people right here in Washington, D.C., leading the charge and showing that conservative women are powerful and influential. But before we dive into that conversation, I want to tell you all about one of my other favorite podcasts. It's called Heritage Explains. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher break down big policy debates you're hearing about in the news at a one-on-one level. Using news clips and music, they tell a story, but they also bring on heritage experts to explain complex issues. Recently, they have broken down the Supreme Court nomination process, human rights abuses in China, and the safety of voting by mail. So go ahead and pull out your phone, if you're not driving, and subscribe to Heritage Explains. Welcome back to the show. We are joined by Representative Debbie Lesko of Arizona. Representative Lesko, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. <laughs> you are definitely, I mean, if you look up problematic woman in the dictionary, <laughs> when eventually it'll be in there, like it'll, your face, I think, will be right underneath it. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. It's good. <laughs> it's it's good definitely thing. good. <laughs> So how did you first gain an interest in policy and what led you to want to run for Congress? Wow, this was a long journey and I've come a long way. So I used to be married to an abusive ex-husband and who threatened my life multiple times. And so thankfully I I left that uh, relationship and married a great new husband who I've been married to for a long time and had more children. But it was rough. It was rough along the way. And the last thing on my mind was being a congresswoman. I'll tell you that. I was just trying to make a living and support my young daughter because I was a single mom. 
So, you know, one thing led to the other. I started getting involved in my kids' schools. Uh, then I started getting involved in my city as a volunteer community worker. Then I started getting involved in the Republican Party as a volunteer. And before you know it, I was elected an officer of the district, then the county, then the state. And then an opening came up in the state House of Representatives in Arizona, and people suggested I run. So I ran and I won, uh, served there six years, got into a leadership position and chair of Ways and Means Committee, then went over to the state Senate, got into leadership, and I was going to run for a Senate president. And then all of a sudden, my congressman uh, resigned. People encouraged me to run for Congress, and here I am. <laughs> now I'm flying on Air Force One and was one of eight members in the U.S. House of Representatives to serve on President Trump's impeachment defense team. So life is good, and God has blessed me. Wow. Amen. I love that. It's always, I think it's just so special to hear someone's personal story and how, you know, you come from just kind of wild circumstances and then where you are now, it's just really awesome to see all the different seasons of life that as women we can experience and go through. Within Congress, you serve on a number of different committees and caucuses, including the House Freedom Caucus. Can you just tell us a little bit about the work of the House Freedom Caucus? Sure. I'm the only woman in it. So, you know, hey, good thing like at least one woman is a representative in it. You know, it's a good caucus. It talks, it goes more in depth into legislation, which I find very valuable. So to me, I want to learn everything about different pieces of legislation. So I go to the conference meetings and learn about it there. And of course, my staff uh, teaches me or, or guides me on what the legislation does. But I like hearing all different perspectives. And the Freedom Caucus is very much for conservative fiscal values, conservative social values, and uh, free markets. And so it's a good group to belong to. Well, Representative Lesko, I'm such a fan of the House Freedom Caucus. And, you know, I get to cover them with the Daily Signal a lot. And when Virginia told me about this interview, like my first gut was like, I want to break down why are you the only woman on the House Freedom Caucus? Like, why, why don't women, you know, value kind of these like principles and, and you know, thinking about economics, you know, just as much as the soft issues, you know, such as um, abortion uh, and things like that. Well, I don't know why I'm the only woman, but I imagine it's a factor. There's only 13 voting Republican women in the entire U.S. Congress, right? So it's all about numbers, I think. And also, it's hard. It's hard to raise money when you're in the Freedom Caucus. So when I first got here, I had committed to being a member of the Freedom Caucus before even back to the primary, Republican special election primary, uh, because all of the Republicans in Arizona are members of the Freedom Caucus, right? And my predecessor was a member of the Freedom Caucus, and I believed in it. But you know, it was tough. I got some from other Republican members that weren't really excited about the Freedom Caucus, uh, they kind of gave me a glaring eye and wondered, what is this lady all about? And also, it was hard to get donor money, quite frankly. And so, um, you know, I guess the reason that there aren't more women in it is because there's only 13 of us, right? But I hear that we're going to have more women members very soon after the election. So 
it's good to have some more women in the group. Well, and you also co-chair the Congressional Caucus for Women's Issues. Women's Issues tend to be some of the most contentious, I think, at times. So what is it like representing the female conservative perspective on that committee? Well, I'm totally outnumbered. So I'm the Republican co-chair of the Women's Caucus. And usually when we go to meetings, there's maybe 30 Democrat women in the room. And sometimes I'm the only Republican woman because of the scheduling. And there's only 13 Republican women in Congress, right? And so, you know, sometimes they have really liberal issues that I totally don't agree with, but I sit through them and bite my tongue sometimes and listen. I try to have an open mind, but other times I can agree with them. So I've become, I would say that I am pretty good friends with the co-chair Brenda Lawrence. And uh, she introduced me to Karen Bass. We went out to dinner one time, and Karen Bass serves on the Judiciary Committee. So those relationships have gotten me to do bipartisan legislation with Karen Bass. I mean, we just uh, put one, introduced one that passed out of Judiciary Committee that um, protects pregnant women that are incarcerated. And I'm a pro-life woman, so to me, that was a win-win. So one of the biggest issues right now for women is, you know, women's sports, the the transgender issue where men who are biologically men now identify as women uh, and, you know, want to play sports with people who are biologically women. Um, You have a bill called the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. Can you let us know kind of what that will do if passed and, and kind of what the trajectory of that looks like? Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up. My bill, which I co-sponsored, will basically protect women and girls. I mean, women and girls have fought so long for rights, and the Democrats are really pushing to prioritize transgenders. So their Equality Act, which they passed through the U.S. House of Representatives, which I voted no on and was quite vocally against, is called the Equality Act. Sounds good, right? But it's not equal. It's giving priority to transgenders and saying, okay, let's say you're a teenage girl. You're a minor, right? And and you think all of a sudden you wake up one day and say, you know what? I really feel like a guy and I, I want to get a mastectomy or I want to get hormone therapy. Their bill actually prevents the parents from stepping in for their minor child and saying no. That the parents could actually be reported to child protective custody just for stepping up and trying to protect their daughter from these radical agenda that she may change her mind. And so this is another thing that was in the Equality Act. The Equality Act that the Democrats pushed through the U.S. House of Representatives basically said, under mandate of federal law, schools, organizations, churches, any public organization has to take in biological males that still have male body parts. And they are, if they say they're a woman that particular moment and they relate to a girl or they say they're a girl, they have to be allowed into girls and women's sports. That's wrong. That's discriminatory against women and girls. It prioritizes transgenders over women's and girls. I think it's wrong, and that's why I stood up to fight against it. 
And why is this issue so critical beyond, let's say, just high school girls that obviously want to compete fairly? But how does this issue truly affect all Americans? In the Democrats' version of the Equality Act, which they pushed through the U.S. House of Representatives, and I voted against, and I was vocally against it, it enshrines into law, enforces under government federal law for organizations to put biological men in the same shower as girls and women if they say that they happen to feel like a girl that day or, you know, if they identify as a woman or a girl. It, under mandate of federal law, it says that domestic violence shelters have to take in biological males. And some of these domestic violence shelters don't have separate facilities for guys and women, you know? And so this is just wrong. This is discriminatory against women. And so quite frankly, uh, this is a subject that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's uncomfortable for Republicans to talk about. But I'm gonna talk about it. And I talk about it in business groups too. So let's say I, I have different trade organizations. And so first I talk about their subject. And then I bring this up, and it's uncomfortable to them, but I bring it up and I said, this is going to affect you because you're going to be put as an employer in these uncomfortable positions where you're going to have a woman that says, this isn't right, but the federal law says you can't do anything about it because you have to accept a biological male who identifies as a woman and put him right next to a woman or whatever. This, you know, this is just wrong, especially the part where it says, that parents, parents can't even have a say over their minor child if the minor child just decides, you know what, I feel like the opposite sex and I want a, a surgery to change my sex and they're a minor. This is craziness. Wow. That is, it's just, oh, what does this world come to? <laughs> you know, what are, what's, what's going to be next? Well, uh, that's why I stand up and fight. There's too many people uncomfortable about talking about it, quite frankly. And so I'm on the Judiciary Committee. I'm on the Rules Committee. I'm the woman here that's willing to speak up about it. So I'm the one that speaks up about it because somebody has to. You know, Representative Lesko, I think we have a lot of problematic listeners who definitely appreciate and value you standing up. Uh, another issue that I, we know you're very passionate about is you know, being a pro-life voice in Washington. Where does that passion come from? Oh, man, because I was lied to. I wasn't, I was pro-life. I mean, I, I was, I guess you'd call it, the left calls it pro-choice. I call it, you know, for abortion, I guess, or anti-life. But, you know, I, I used to be like that, so I can relate to it. I was lied to by Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood said, oh, it's just a clump of cells. I think they said it looks like a tadpole. And so it was actually when I got involved in the Republican Party and there was a woman in the Arizona Republican Party who was very pro-life. And then I volunteered to register voters at the Arizona State Fair. And there was a booth very close to our Arizona Republican Party booth that was Arizona Right to Life. And it had little miniatures of fetuses inside the womb. And I was like, that's not a clump of cells. Those are little babies. And so I was converted. 
I was converted and I was like, they lied to me. And so now I'm very vocal about this because it's wrong and Planned Parenthood continues to lie. Do you know that the chairman of the Arizona Planned Parenthood Political Action Committee, their arm just recently put out a tweet. It was outrageous. In Arizona, we put out a blue alert. The Department of Public Safety, which is law enforcement, state law enforcement, put out a blue alert because a law enforcement officer was attacked in Phoenix. And this Planned Parenthood chairman put out a tweet, ask the whole word, ask blue alert, your blue alert. What is wrong with these people? Not only do they want to kill innocent babies, we have gone on the floor, Republicans have gone on the floor, including me, asking for a motion to say, okay, if a baby is born alive because the abortion didn't work, it was a botched abortion, the baby's born alive, you need to give medical care to the baby. It's called the Born Alive Act. The Democrats will not hear the bill. So now they're not only for killing innocent babies in the womb, they want to let babies that are born alive from a botched abortion die. Now this chairman in Arizona is going after law enforcement and thinks it's totally fine to kill law enforcement officers. This is insane. These people have to be stopped. It is insane. It, it makes zero sense. The logic doesn't follow. But I am thankful for the fact that representative like yourself, it seems like more and more Americans are having that revelation of waking up to the fact that an unborn child is a life and is deserving of life. But it still seems like overall we need a cultural shift to where we as a society can get to a point where we say an unborn child has rights, mainly the right to life. What do you think needs to happen in America for us as a society to be able to say that, that an unborn baby deserves the right to life? President Trump has been so vocal about protecting life and enacting rules and regulations that protect life. I mean, people have said over and over again that he is the most pro-life president in modern history. Also, because he is about to nominate the next Supreme Court justice. Well, this is a huge issue for pro-life uh, issues. We need another conservative justice on the court. And this is just, you know, this is a great opportunity for pro-life supporters. Representative, looking forward, can you tell us about any of the legislation that you're working on right now that you're particularly passionate about and really excited to put forth? Boy, there's a few pieces of legislation I'd really love to put forth. Unfortunately, in the U.S. House of Representatives, Republicans are in the minority, so the Democrats set the entire agenda. So I did a bunch of immigration bills. I've introduced a bunch of immigration bills, which are very important for the state of Arizona. Um, in fact, it's, you know, under coronavirus, it's probably the number one issue in Arizona is that we invite people to come here legally, but we're not a big fan. Majority of Arizonans do not believe in illegal immigration. And I have, since I'm on Homeland Security Committee and they have authorization over the border patrol uh, and over the wall and those type of things, 
I talked to Customs and Border Protection officials and DHS officials and said, what do you need in order to fix the broken immigration system? And they gave me a list of things, so I introduced bills. Well, they were sent to Judiciary Committee. Unfortunately, Jerry Nadler, who's the Democrat chairman, he's not going to hear him because he doesn't believe in that. Democrats believe in open borders. So that's one of the things. The other thing is to continue to create legislation that grows jobs in the economy. This is a huge difference between Republicans like myself and Democrats who want to raise our taxes and stifle the uh, economy, raise more regulations. Uh, Republicans want lower taxes and less regulations, and it works. You saw it. President Trump signed into law the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and we had the greatest economy going until coronavirus hit. Unemployment was at record low levels for everyone. Whites, Blacks, Hispanics, Asians, everyone. It, did, it doesn't it matter what race. And so President Trump and the Republicans are the ones that can get it back to that. I also want to improve education. I really, really think that our students are falling behind in the United States. We need to up the game. We need to increase the standards. We need to give more flexibility to the states and local governments. And we definitely need more school choice. And that's why I co-sponsored a bill that says the money follows the child. That's what I believe in. Parents should be able to choose what's the best education for their child, because they know their child best. Wow. Well, we could talk all day, Representative Lesko, but before we let you go, we ask every one of our guests here this question on the show, because everybody has such an interesting answer. And the question is, do you consider yourself a feminist? Why or why not? No, I don't think I would consider myself a feminist, but I do consider myself someone that believes in women's rights, women's and girls' rights. And that's why I stand up so strongly against giving transgenders priority over women. Everyone should be equal. I believe in equal treatment of everyone, not prioritizing one group of people over another group of people. I stand up for women and equal rights. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to do it the Democrat way. That's for sure. Representative Lesko, thank you so much for your time today. We just have loved having you on the show and talking with you. And we so appreciate all the work that you're doing on the Hill and for America. Thank you. I really appreciate it. America is at a crossroads. Each day, we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation, while night after night, our city streets are set ablaze by riots and rage. That's why the Heritage Foundation has developed a plan to help take our country back. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of heritage-recommended action items delivered to you each week. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for the Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash 2020 and join in the fight for America today. Now it is that time again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to none other than Amy Coney Barrett. Of course. Of course. I mean, she's like... When the list came out last week of all the nominees, they were all wonderful women. And, you know, I would have been very happy if Trump would have selected any of those. But I just like 
really in my heart of hearts on Saturday, all day Saturday. I was just like, I really hope he picks Amy. I really <laughs> hope he picks Amy Coney Barrett. So I'm very excited for it. Well, Lauren, you've been a fan of Amy Coney Barrett for a long time. I mean, I remember last year, I think you kind of fangirling over her a little bit when she came to Heritage for a, um interview with our friend Elizabeth Slattery. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, she's just awesome. The fact that you can have that many kids. I mean, you're you are a great American. I mean, if you have one kid, you're a great American. But if you have seven, I mean, like, I, I can't imagine. And the presser that she did with Trump was great. My favorite line is, and I probably am going to botch this, so don't take me word for word. But it was like, I'm most comfortable in groups of nine. <laughs> and I remember that. That was it, so good. I agree. Amazing. It was such a great line. Yes. Totally, she's going to fit perfectly on the Supreme Court. One yeah. of nine she's used One to. Nine. So. Yeah, so funny. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. In the meantime, please subscribe and share. And don't forget, conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.